The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Two centuries of fruit tree expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. It is so sad when a beautiful fruit tree dies. But it's even sadder when a tree dies and you just don't know why. Well, that's been happening in apple orchards in various parts of North America, including Ontario, New York State, Pennsylvania, and Washington State. It goes like this. One day you're walking through your apple orchard and everything looks just fine. Your trees have a nice heavy crop of fruit on them and all is well. The next week though, you start to notice the tree's leaves are going just a little bit yellow. And within two weeks, those trees are dead. Many with an almost ripe harvest on their lifeless branches. Some growers are losing 10, 20, or 30% of their orchard trees in this way. And researchers don't yet know why it's happening. They call it rapid apple decline or sudden apple decline. And we're going to learn all about it in today's show. My guest today is Carrie Peter, PhD. She's an assistant research professor of tree fruit pathology at the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center, and she's experienced this problem firsthand in her test orchard. Now, before we dig into today's topic, you may have questions for her or comments about the topic today, or maybe you just want to write in to say hi. If you do, please do email us at instudio101 at gmail.com and include your first name and where you're writing from. If you do write in, you'll be eligible to win a fantastic Penn State hat and polo shirt. So write us at instudio101 at gmail.com. I really look forward to hearing from you. So let's learn more about the very scary sudden apple decline. Carrie Peter is on the line right now. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. 
Oh, thank you for having me. So, Carrie, tell us a little bit about the dramatic story. How did you first encounter sudden apple decline? Well, uh, I started at Penn State in March of 2013, and it was I had been here a few months when it was brought to my attention one of my new apple orchards that had been I inherited that had been planted the year before uh, was suddenly losing a lot of trees. And as the, the new pathologist at the station, it was my duty to figure out the problem in my own orchard. Uh, we had decided to try various treatments on the trees, fungicides, um, soil treatments to combat any issues that could be affecting the roots. Um, we um, tried to rule out stuff. And the more we applied products, um, the more the trees to continue to die. So it seemed that we, we couldn't get ahead of it, and the trees just continued to collapse despite our efforts, our valiant efforts in, in trying to save them. So what were the first symptoms that you noticed? Well, there were a lot of, first it was there were a lot of dead trees. It was just a lot of trees that were in the process of decline. Um, just looking at them first, first glance, it was like the, the leaves were yellowing uh, or they were completely brown because they had already died. And then as the season had progressed in 2013, I had noticed that trees that seemed healthy at the start of the season, meaning they had some fruit on them, were starting to collapse as well. So that, that was very startling to see what appeared to be, you know, um, trees that had, you know, a decent crop on them collapse. Um, so that was, um, that was definitely of concern for us. So you saw yellowing leaves, but was there anything else that, that could distinguish it from any other possible disease or insect problem or... Well, we took a very close look at the entire tree, and when we looked closely, it was mainly at the graft union. That's where we noticed where the problem was at. It was at the graft union. And then we would dig up the tree, and we noticed that the roots were perfectly healthy, and in all cases, the roots were wonderfully healthy. The tree was trying to survive because um, the the particular rootstock uh, that these trees were on, the, the rootstock denotes the size of the tree, I was called M9, and they were pushing up a lot of rootstock suckers. So when you see that, you know that it's a healthy root system. But the problem area was at the graft union. And so when we would scrape away the bark, we realized it was at this critical junction of where rootstock meets the, the scion wood that was collapsing and that, that um, death was going up the tree. So it was expanding up the tree. But really the, the ground zero for the collapse was right at the graft union. So for those listeners that don't um, know, the idea of a fruit tree, the reason we get these wonderful cultivars and varieties is that you, they're actually Franken-trees, aren't they? <laughs> they're made out yeah. of two separate trees. Can you just summarize that for us? Like what is the difference between rootstock and scion wood? Sure. So, so, so yes, apple trees aren't grown from a seed. Uh, you know, they're, they're clonally propagated, uh, meaning that you have the top part of the tree is called the scion. So that would be your variety or your cultivar. So that's your Honeycrisp, your Gala, your Fuji. And you would graft that scion wood to a rootstock. And the rootstock is, is what controls the size of the tree. 
So you so it you can have dwarfing rootstocks, which makes the tree small. And these are desirable because you can pack a lot of trees in a small space, like in one acre. Or you have semi-dwarf rootstocks where they're a bit bigger. They can typically stand on their own, and they need more space. Um, so you would have fewer trees per acre. The dwarfing rootstocks require support. And more and more growers are going towards this system because they can recoup their costs in a much more, um, in a shorter period of time. So in a semi-dwarf system, you may not get a sellable crop for five or six years. In the case of a dwarfing rootstock system, you would get a sellable crop in three years. So you're paying off your debt much faster. So the investment's paying itself off. Okay, so so now what we're seeing, so you're out there in the field, you see, oh my gosh, these trees are dying, but whoops, the roots are alive. Even when the tree is totally dead on the upper part, you can see that the roots are surviving? Yes, yes, we can. I mean, we can, we dig them up, we can, you know, move away the soil, we can scrape away a bit of the uh, material off the roots, and they're perfectly white and healthy. There's no decay, there's no sign of decay. Uh, we've, we've looked for nematodes in the sense of nematodes are small, tiny worms that can exist in the soil, which can decrease um, root mass or the number of roots that you have there. And, you know, the root mass was just fine. Um, there was plenty of roots, lots of feeder roots. So there was lots of material there to be able to get nutrition and what it, what the tree needed from the soil. Hmm. We just got an email from Patty from Omaha, Nebraska. Patty says, hi, Susan and Dr. Peter, a great informational show today. My question for Dr. Peter is, is there a cure for this disease? Uh, not yet. <laughs> there isn't a cure because we don't know what the causal agent is. Uh, we've been in the process of trying to eliminate issues. And the first is biotic issues. The biotic issues meaning uh, fungal pathogens, uh, nematodes, viruses, uh, such as that. And then um, there's abiotic causes like drought stress or winter stress. And those can factor into weakening the tree. Um, so right now what we know is is that tree stress, some kind of tree stress factors into these trees becoming susceptible to opportunistic pathogens. However, we don't know what that ultimate initial tree stress is to prevent it. Hmm. So we're, that's where, why we're stuck in trying to find a fix for it. So, so Carrie, you're in the middle of this. This is, what, 2013 maybe? Mm-hmm. You're in the middle of this. You're, you're looking out at this orchard and you're thinking, uh-oh, I'm supposed to be the expert and I have no idea what's going on. How did you then realize the problem was bigger than just your little orchard? Well, I had received phone calls from other growers in the state, and um, one particular grower had much greater loss than I did, and he his symptoms were very similar to what my orchard was experiencing, where he had just planted this orchard. It was a couple years old, and the trees were just collapsing for a number, you know, a mysterious reason. And he was working with an extension agent in his region, and they put it through all the tests. Um, they sent samples to our the Penn State Plant Disease Clinic. Uh, they had nematode soil samples to test for nematodes. They sent that to another state to, to check on. And what was ultimately found was that the nematode population wasn't, uh, you know, an issue. And the pathogens that the, the clinic that were 
the clinic was isolating were opportunistic fungal pathogens. So they aren't, they don't cause the disease. They take advantage of a weakened situation. So when I uh, was, um, you know, they enlisted my help, I realized, oh, well, this is, this is much bigger than me and I need to bring in extra help. So I enlisted the help of the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture who, um, you know, they, they have a plant pathology clinic and themselves, and you know they deal with sort of mysterious problems all the time. So, and there have been a history of Penn State working with them, um, particularly with issues in the past. And so, I helped. They helped me as far as trying to look at the problem a little more closely beyond what I was capable of doing. Oh my gosh! So, so there you are. Here's your situation. Okay, you know Pennsylvania has a problem. I always wonder, like, if something new has been introduced, how do people from different states and, and different parts of the world even sort of get in touch and say, hey, I have this problem, too? <laughs> they typically occur at regional meetings. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just by happenstance, and, and that's what happened to me. Is in, It was actually it was 2016. I was at um, a regional meeting in uh, the Northeast in Vermont, and uh, there were individuals there from New York State at Cornell, and they were mentioning they had recognized some unusual tree decline issue. And there were individuals there from Canada, and they had said, well, we have been witnessing this too. <laughs> and so then it was just a snowball effect where we all were witnessing and observing this very unusual massive decline of young trees that were on these dwarfing rootstocks with no unknown cause. And everyone felt, everyone had their own theory as to what may be causing it, but no one could come up with an ultimate cause. So we knew that there was something much bigger going on here than at the individual state level or even at the individual orchard level. We have an email here from Ron, and and all these emails, uh, they speak to me of my heart because I feel the same way. He writes, oh my gosh, can this disease wipe out an entire orchard? We have a small orchard in Greenville, South Carolina. Scary stuff. Well, so I, no, the quick answer is no. I don't believe it is because we, we haven't identified um, some causal factor yet. And most likely what it is is that there's multiple factors at play. Uh, and you also have to realize is that um, uh, the system with which these trees are being planted in is a very, it's, it's a very unique system in, in a commercial orchard. We're only witnessing this in commercial orchards that are planted in a high-density system. And what that translates into, like 1,200 trees to an acre. Your average homeowner or even small orchard may not be that dense. And um, the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, in that type of system, there's a lot more competition for nutrients and stuff going on in the soil. And, you know, the fact that we haven't seen a massive die-off of trees across the board, it's very unique to a particular rootstock. And there seems to be, um, there's nothing virulent, so to speak, that we have identified. So I don't, I think it sounds scary, but for, for folks that may have smaller operations, I don't believe this is something that we need to be, um, uh, it, it's it's not the apocalypse of <laughs> Apple, so to speak. But it would be, you know, M9 is a popular rootstock that yeah. many of us are getting from our fruit tree nurseries for dwarfing trees. So, you know, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's a mixture of having this rootstock, have growing apples, and planting those apple trees really close together like they do now in the modern way in new in in new orchards, basically. 
also, you mentioned that this is happening to younger trees. Yes. So tell so, me about that. So it seems that it's primarily we see it in trees anywhere from like two to three years old to like eight years old. If you have trees that are 15 years old or older and they're dying, that's something else. <laughs> and they've been healthy up until that point. What's so startling about this is they're newly planted. They're trees that are just about coming into their prime. And so that's what makes this so startling. And it's the, you know, occasionally you will get some tree die off for one reason or another, groundhogs, uh, rodents chewing at the, the roots or even at the, you know, the trunk of the tree. But what's startling about this is that there's no rhyme or reason to the tree decline within a particular orchard. And, you know, we can't pinpoint it to any particular event. Um, you know, in the case in New York, they feel that their drought in 2016, I believe, was a tipping point as far as a stressor for them. Hmm. Um, and, you know, with these smaller root, these dwarfing rootstocks, they require a lot of water. So if you aren't providing some kind of water through irrigation, that's a stressor. You know, that's a stressor you have to take into consideration. Uh, the, the weird temperature swings that we've had during winter, that can be a stressor. Um, there's not much you, there's, there's some things that you can do within your power to limit that, that, that um, the effect of that fluctuation, um, such as um, painting the trunks white. That will help reflect the sunlight so you wouldn't have that rapid freeze thaw that could happen during, during the um, winter season. Um, but as far as, um, the other thing is, is that, you know, on semi-dwarf rootstocks, we aren't seeing this issue. Mm -hmm. It's on young trees that are on dwarfing rootstocks, and particularly it seems to be M9. So, and yeah. M9 has its own quirks that we've, we, we know that has to be sort of, you know, taking that into account when you have M9 trees and when you plant them too. Um, we, we got an email from Norm, and Norm from Ontario asks, I just lost that email, um, do, 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 here it is. Is there any cultivar rootstock combination that's more resistant to this? That's a good combination. I mean, that's a good question, I should say. We haven't seen drastic issues with bud nine. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be the combination per se, but it's the rootstock itself. So bud nine is another dwarfing rootstock that seems to, we haven't had many reports of that. Um, there are um, a if the listeners are aware of Geneva rootstocks. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, nurseries are carrying Geneva rootstocks. Um, we've had minimal um, issues with Geneva rootstocks to date. Uh, so, but with that said, M9 is one of the most popular rootstocks out there. So most likely why we're seeing what we're seeing is because of just the sheer volume hmm. of it. We've got an email from Steve uh, from Detroit, Michigan. Is there any known prevention for this yet? Well, the one thing, the how we advise growers is when you are establishing an orchard, you need to make sure that you are putting its best foot forward as it's going into the ground. So number one, and even this can be for a homeowner too, is that check the nutrients in the soil. Make sure things are balanced in the soil. Um, make sure you have a water supply, that the trees aren't stressed in any way once it's planted. Uh, you know, eliminating any kind of um, trusters, whether, whether it's disease or insects during the season. Tree stress seems to play some kind of role, even though we don't know what tree stress it is, but there is a lot within, um, you know, a grower's 
power to minimize tree stress. Hmm. So that is, you know, water, uh, painting the trunks to help reflect the sunlight during the winter so you eliminate winter, you know, limit winter injury, making sure you have balanced nutrients and you can test that in the soil. You can also have leaf analysis done in the middle of the season, you know, pr- you know, just a general overall health for, you know, disease and insect control too. We have one more idea here from Charlie. I don't know where Charlie is from. It's an interesting suggestion. So Charlie says, what about completely sealing over the graft union? Yeah, so the graft union is, there is, it's like a natural as far as, um, you know, it's its its own, uh, uh, as far as how it's, uh, the plant heals over by itself. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's an interesting idea, but I'm not sure if it's coming, it could potentially be coming from the outside, but we would have to test that, ex- that experiment. That's actually a really interesting idea. But here's the question. But the one question that we still wrestle with is: it is the tree already coming with it before? Like, mm. you know, once once you buy that tree and you put it in your ground, is it already compromised? So you know, we don't know where this tree. Where we don't know where the where the issue begins. Is it at the nursery or does it start at the you know in the grower in the person's orchard once they plant it? Yeah. So, but that's an interesting idea. I like that. I'll put that <laughs> on my great. on my thought list. That so. sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting. On Twitter, I put this out on Twitter, and I heard from uh, Christy from the Ontario Ministry of Food and Rural Affairs. And I said, okay, have you seen this? Um, so she wrote back, yes, we've been tracking RAD, SAD, so a rapid apple decline, a sudden apple decline, in Ontario orchards t- since 2016. She says mainly gala M9 combination, so gala apples on M9 rootstock, but others too. She says we have a national team of researchers looking at the fruit decline problem as we are also seeing this in stone fruit. Stay tuned. Ooh. Have you heard anything about that? About With, with regards to... To the stone. possibility that it's happening in peaches and apricots. Well, that could be something else. <laughs> That's a whole other... I mean, that, that could easily be something else. Um, but uh, I will say this is that in Pennsylvania, back in the 80s, I think... It was there was an unusual decline of stone fruit trees occurring in Pennsylvania, and they had a team of researchers that they assembled, and they determined that it wasn't any one causal factor, but that it was a multiple it was multiple factors that was causing the the premature decline of trees. Um, so I, I hear reports here and there um, uh, as far as some declining stone fruit, and we have identified fungal organisms that are linked are really specifically linked to to that decline and and one of the one of the diseases is called cytospora canker that's cytospora with a c and that's um you know and, and that seems to have been prevalent in the in the area especially after stressful years hmm. stressful seasons so Okay, well, let's do, before the break, let's do one more email here from Stephen. Um, Let's see, he's an orchard owner, not sure where, but let's read it. Good afternoon. Is SAD, sudden apple decline, evident in many dwarfing rootstocks or a particular dwarfing rootstock like M9? Oops, I believe that's just been answered, smiley. (laughs) Okay, he continues to say, also, is there any evidence of certain apple varieties being more susceptible to sudden apple decline? 
I wonder if the more vigorous apple varieties are more prone to SAD, perhaps due to the rootstock being unable to supply adequate nutrients to an apple variety that has a propensity to be vigorous. Perhaps this increases tree stress. And he says, thanks. And if we, let's see what it says a little lower down. I'm just curious where Stephen is from. Oh, he's just orchard owner, so I'm not sure where he's from. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Uh, So I predominantly have seen it, I've seen it on a ton of different varieties. Um, As far as Gala, Golden Delicious, Fuji, Crimson Crisp. I don't know how common Crimson, familiar Crimson Crisp um, are with folks. Uh, Honey Crisp. Um, there, there have been very few varieties that I have not observed it on, um, but that, but that's a, actually a re- really interesting um, observation. And I'd have to go back through the data that I've collected over the years to see if we we have seen any trends, because when we've looked at it, it just seems to be it's it's a, def- a ton of different varieties. Wow. So, well, I'll tell you what, we've got some more questions coming up, but let's um, first have our little commercial break and we'll dive right in to more questions. Uh, Carrie, are you okay uh, staying on the line for a couple of minutes? Yep, absolutely. All right, super. Well, coming up, we have a few words from our sponsors, but after our commercial break, I'd like to talk about the work that researchers are doing to determine the cause of sudden apple decline. Carrie will tell me a little bit more about that. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is RealityRadio101.com and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. We'll be back right after the break. Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. The company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious Apple, and it started in 1893. And then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious Apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious Apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses. We offer a wide variety of product. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique. E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located, that 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend. Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com.
If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com workshops. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. Thanks for tuning in. Today on the show today, my guest is Carrie Peter, PhD, and she is an assistant research professor of tree fruit pathology at the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center. Our topic today is sudden apple decline, also known as rapid apple decline. It's a phenomenon that's killing thousands of apple trees across North America. Researchers still aren't certain what's causing the disease. Now, as we chat today during the live show, you may have questions or comments for Carrie, or you just might want to write in to say hi. So please do so. Just send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com during the live show, and we'll enter you into our contest, and you may be the winner of a Penn State polo shirt and a hat to match. Oh, and do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So, Carrie, you're still on the line with me. Yes, I am. Before we dive into some uh, different research that's being done right now, I've got an email from Tommy. Tommy says, hi, new listener from Youngstown, Alberta. This is a very scary situation. Is there a reporting website or a telephone number to report on this if discovered in our orchards? Uh, I'm not aware of anything. Uh, I would recommend that whoever you work with, either if there is um, a consultant that you work with, that you let them know or keep them in the loop. And then uh, in Canada, you know, there are folks that are working on this in Canada. So it's a matter of of basically getting in touch with them, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So I don't, in, in the United States, it's different. Like in the United States, what I would recommend um, for people, if they if there are, you know, Folks that are in tree fruit growing regions, they would contact a local extension agent in their in their area who they interact with, or the university um, find someone at the university that is working specifically on tree fruit diseases to put this on their radar. Yeah, I would think I think it's a really good question because I would think it's yeah. important, and especially we don't know if it's happening in backyard trees too, because most backyard growers don't have a relationship with somebody who is an expert that they can consult with, and they may have a tree that's dead, and they don't know why. 
Right. You know? Yeah. And so in the case of the backyard grower in the United States, you'd want to contact your master gardeners. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, those are the extension volunteers that are trained to work with homeowners. Um, so you would just count, contact your county um, extension office and ask for the master gardeners. And then hopefully they would be able to sort of, you know, steer you in the right direction or at least find someone to help with you. And in the case of the backyard grower, um, you know, what's so striking with this is that, you know, you're dealing with, um, on a commercial level, so many trees in, in such a short period of time, where this may not show up in a backyard homeowner because there you are controlling for so many more variables that you just are able to control than, than a commercial grower is. In I what sense? In the sense of, you know, being able to keep your tree watered. Uh, making sure that, you know, you're, you know, keeping the weeds around, the soil free, so you have limited competition for nutrients, Uh, you know, most likely, hopefully, um, you know, keeping an eye on for diseases and insect control and such. Uh, So I feel that, like, on a smaller scale, you'd be able to limit the tree stress much, uh, well, I guess maybe the right word be more efficiently than when it's on a mass production scale, when there could be variables that just are just beyond, may just be on the commercial grower's reach. Yeah, it's really hard to inspect, you know, 10,000 trees right. compared it's, to three. It's not three. until you see like a, a swath yes. of declining trees that it catches your attention. That it catches your attention, yeah. We've got an email from Getty who wonders, does warmer climate make things worse versus colder climates? That's a good question. And I'm not sure if it if it matters like warm or versus cold, but it's it would mean I would think it'd be during the winter when you have the the drastic swings. So you know when we've had the pol- the quote unquote polar vortexes for vortices <laughs> that have occurred um, the last several winters where you could have like 60 degree fluctuations in a 24 hour period. Trees in general are very sensitive to that, and especially fruit trees. You know they can be very sensitive to that drastic swing. I mean, they like it when it gradually gets cold, it gets cold, it stays cold. It doesn't like those warm-up temperatures. So I would think that would be factoring in um, as a potential stressor than whether it is, um, you know, too cold or too warm. Well, so then, you know, then it could be an element of the climate changing, ups and downs. It could very well be, you know, it could very well be. Um, I wanted to ask, and I know that you mentioned to me that there are people, researchers across North America, exploring different aspects of the disease. Tell me a little bit about that. Are you guys on the phone to each other and saying, okay, you do this, I'll do that? Like, how does that work? That's a that's an excellent question. So how we've, how we've landed on our own personal projects is based on what we have found at our location. Um, so, for instance, in, in Pennsylvania, we've discovered a new apple virus. Uh, we have no idea what role, if any, this virus plays in, in the decline. And the reason we were able to find it is because of the technology that is available today. Uh, it's just there's very sophisticated tools that allow researchers to basically find a needle in a haystack and that weren't available 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and so we've been working on a particular virus, trying to understand its role, um, surveying our orchards and surveying nurseries. Out in Washington State, they have found completely different new viruses, and they are doing the same thing. 
in North Carolina, they've noticed there's an insect, a wood-boring insect that seems to be prevalent in these declining orchards. And these wood-boring insects, they can, they bore tunnels in the tree and they carry fungi with them. And those fungi can clog up the tree, thereby choking it off and causing it to die. Um, so they're, they're investigating the role of the fungi and also the role of the insects. But a caveat with that is that those insects are only attracted to stressed trees. They're attracted to ethanol that's emitted to stressed trees. So then we go back to the question is what ultimately is stressing these trees out. Um, so in New York, they're looking at, um, at the soil, at the soil composition. Is the, is the microbial community different in the soil um, based on a healthy orchard versus a declining orchard. And they have found that the soil community is virtually, I think, identical or near identical. And so they have felt that up there that it was mainly the drought in 2016 and the, the stressful winters that we've had. Uh, but at the same time, they also realized that that wasn't the complete story, that there, there are other factors that they wanted to explore. Um, another area that no one's exploring yet but that we want to look at is the role of herbicides, unfortunately. Herbicides are a necessary evil in the orchard. You don't want the trees competing with weeds underneath the trees for water and nutrients. And so herbicides are used in order to give the tree that leg up to make sure it's absorbing everything it possibly can in its space that it's um, you know, living in. However, herbicides today are formulated such that they can be taken up by plants, weeds, very, very well. And so there's, we do know that some herbicides can, you know, when inadvertently taken up by um, an apple tree can mess with their immune system and make them susceptible to pathogens that normally aren't an issue when a tree is stressed. So <laughs> there are a ton of different areas that you know, we that are ripe for the picking with trying to investigate this problem. We have an email from Alice from Phil, Philly, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. And Alice says, Hi, Susan. Wow, very important issue. Does your guest have any other information published online? Thanks. Uh, I have several articles um, um, on the Penn State Extension website. So if you just Google Penn State extension tree fruit rapid apple decline i think my first article will pop up um on the on this internet search um so i've written extensively about that and then um there are um, a couple journal articles um, that are written about the new virus that we found and then the research that came out of Cornell. But as far as sort of a broad overview of this issue, um, it, the Penn State Extension article I think is the best bet because it kind of gives a nice overview of like what we've done, what we've explored, and other possibilities. And it's also good, isn't it, to look for pictures online. I think in my Facebook post I've mm -hmm. put a bunch of your pictures so that we can recognize it when we see it and yes. we know what it you know if we have something else we can say no that doesn't look the same you right. know whatever right. problem I have in my tree doesn't look like this right and the, and the important thing to note is that this does sound really scary however uh, if you have a tree that's declining we need to rule out I always rule out a lot of things first before going jumping in this area and you know if, if homeowners have young trees 
um, that they just planted and after a couple years they start to decline, you need to start asking questions like, well, was there any kind of damage, like physical damage by rabbits or moles or voles or any kind of rodent or you, know, you have to have a groundhog, you know, in the yard. Uh, you know, the other thing is, is was the tree stressed at any time with regards to water or nutrients or you know, in some cases, some some folks like to crop their trees sooner than they should, and that can stress out a tree. You know, trees tend to put out blossoms early, but you don't want to crop them too soon because you can. That's a tree stressor. So, um, I think as well. I I totally. I you know that it all makes so much sense. I think for me familiarity with what the diseases that are out there is so important, especially for home growers. Uh, in my online course, I teach people to recognize the five or six or seven common diseases that you're going to get in fruit trees so that when they see them, they know exactly what it is and how to solve the problem. I think there's so much fear around my tree is sick. Oh my gosh, what is it? When you know what to expect and you know your tree is going to get sick at some point, just like your kid is going to get sick at some mm -hmm. point, and you know, okay, it's the flu. This is how I deal with it. It's a cold. This is how I deal with it. So I think as well, like just to be familiar with the problems that are out there, once you know what's out there, you can deal with those little problems. Then when something big like this comes along, you say, whoa, okay, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that. Time to contact my local extension service to say, help, <laughs> Right. what is right. this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, because, you know, in this case, you know, in tree declines, it's all, it, you, you automatically look at the root system or just at the crown of the tree. You know, when a tree's declining, it has nothing to do with the top part of the tree. It's all either in the soil or at the crown. And that's often like sort of a, a misperception. It's like my tree's sick, but it's, it's like, you know, the leaves are just the symptoms of right. what's going on down below. Down below, exactly. Right, and it could be a soil-borne pathogen. It could be, you know, there, there's, so many, there's so many options, let's put it that way, that could lead to a tree looking like that. Um, Elton writes, are there any nutrients that can be amended to reduce the stress on orchards? Any research on this? I love that question because, you know, you go to different events to learn about all the miracle, you know, put mm -hmm. seaweed or fish essence or this or that, and they'll make your tree stronger. So is there any uh, studies on what can actually build up their uh, defenses against problems like this? That That's an excellent question. And, and since this this since this issue has come to light um, nationally, internationally, I'm actually going to be doing some studies this summer on just that of people, different products, um, synthetic uh, products and also um, biologically based products like uh, that are made up of microbes just to see if, if, if as far as maximizing what is in the soil there is for the tree. As far as... Um, you know, that's out of my wheelhouse, I have to admit, as far as, as knowing that information. Um, but I do know that, you know, there are people out there that are, are looking at, you know, you know, what can we do to make, you know, the tree healthier and, and making sure that, uh, you know, nutrients are optimized. So well, I don't have a quick answer right now, but I do know, I mean, I, I have a small portion that's working on it, and then I know, you know, fo the, there's folks out there who probably can answer that better than I can. Well, once you do your research, we're going to get you back on the show to tell us what <laughs> yeah. you find. We all want to know. Okay, can I talk about the elephant in the room right now? Do you see that elephant? I think so. <laughs> okay, there's a big elephant in this room right now, everybody. And the elephant is, I want to put it out there. 
I love orchards of all types. I love orchards with freestanding trees. I love these beautiful new high-density orchards where trees are planted really close together, almost like grapevines. They're, um, you know, sort of supported by trellises. Um, They're lower, so it's easy to harvest, to care for the trees. And one of my online courses, I teach people even how to prune and create a high-density orchard. I think it's a beautiful idea, but perhaps... It is not good for trees because, you know, on the one hand, we teach, you know, make sure that your tree has enough room for its root systems to expand. You know, don't plant it too close to your strawberry plants or whatever else you're going to put there. Give it space to grow. And on the other hand, we're saying, and if you want a really big harvest, plant them three feet apart and let the roots fight it out. And that will prevent the tree from getting too tall and and, and it'll give you a great fruiting wall of delicious fruit on fabulous trees. Is the problem here that we are taking a square peg and putting it in a round hole, that we're taking trees that need lots of space and we're squishing them together and telling them to fight it out? That is something that we have talked as, like in the university community among horticulturists, pathologists, and entomologists, we've we've talked about that a lot as far as that that how we grow trees could be having an impact. However, with that said, we also feel something may have changed in the last 15 years where it seems that rootstocks may be more susceptible to not more susceptible um, to not being able to weather those stressors um, because it just seems like I, when I've talked to folks who have been in the industry forever, they've never seen anything like this. Hmm. Um, so, yes, in the sense of that we definitely are stressing, you know, there that is a, a man-made stress of, of expecting the tree to do a lot in a small area. But at the same time is that has something changed in our production system, i.e. at the nursery um, and growing trees? Has something changed there um, that is basically setting things up for downfall in the orchard? We hmm. don't know. We really don't know. Wow. Well, we're coming up to another commercial break. So, but you'll stay on the line, Carrie, for a couple more minutes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. After that, we will continue this conversation. We'll talk about people, how people can protect their trees. And I look forward to that. So that's coming up in just a minute. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. I'm Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com, and this is Reality Radio 101. And we're going to be back in just a moment. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. 
Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalogue. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. Thanks for tuning in. So in today's show, we've been talking about a problem that's been killing thousands of apple trees in parts of North America. It's called sudden apple decline, and it happens really fast. So we've been talking to our get my guest today, Carrie Peter, PhD, Assistant Research Professor of Tree Fruit Pathology at the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center. So earlier in the show, Carrie described how this whole thing unfolded for her and how she saw her orchard being affected. And in this part of the show, I'm going to answer some more of your questions. We'll talk about how to protect your trees from this disease. But This is your last chance. If you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. So write us today during the live show at instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. And if you do, we will also enter you into our contest and you can win a Penn State polo shirt and a hat. Oh my gosh. So Carrie, sudden apple decline. You said it's not an apple apocalypse. (laughs) No, I don't believe it is. You don't believe it is. But you can see how, you know, it's scary. And I'm just curious, like, what kind of damage, like, what kind of expense is this causing some orchardists? Well, you know, the the grower who I first experienced this with several years ago, who I realized, hmm, this looks a lot like mine, he's lost more than $200,000, U.S. dollars, as a result of this. And that is the removal, the replacement, the labor, all involved with regards to, like, I think it's about 15 or 20 acres that he had had that this issue with. And that's also not taking into consideration of the revenue loss that he has occurred because he missed the, those years of being able to get fruit from that acreage. 
Um, so for, you know, some growers, I mean, it's been extraordinarily costly. Um, and other growers, um, you know, they, they end up, they cut their losses sooner rather than later. So, you know, they'll, they'll remove an apple block um, sooner than they want to just because, like, this isn't worth it. I've lost 20% of my trees, so I'm just going to start over. So, hmm. you know, it becomes a hardship for um, some growers. Unfortunately, many growers, they're diversified enough where, where they're able to absorb a hit. Um, and, and now in the United States, the USDA has a tree assistant program for, you know, woody perennials, like gr- for grapes and, and apple fruit trees um, that are hit with, you know, either natural disaster or disease or, or unknown. And in the case, um, I have a grower in Adams County, Pennsylvania, who is able to, who took advantage of this tree assistant program to get compensated for the 20% loss of trees that he you know, experienced in his one orchard um, as a result of this. So there is, there does seem to be a safety net in the United States for folks um, with this tree assistant program that is a part of our, the, the USDA farm bill, which is very fortunate. And I've worked hard with the Farm Service Agency to make sure that this this mystery issue gets recognized. Um, and, and it's, and I'm happy to say that they do recognize it. Oh, that's excellent. We have an email from Brad. Brad says, great show listening from Honolulu, Hawaii. Hoping this does not cross contaminate our pineapple crop. <laughs> so let's hope not. Oh my I goodness. I hope not. No, <laughs> I think this is, this is, does seem to be some weird exclusive with apples right now but you know pineapple can get their own issues too so you know um, plant diseases and plant issues are you know they they hold no there there are no boundaries with them so yeah they don't behave that's for sure sometimes they don't behave now if a grower has lost a block of trees they've they've you know dug them out whatever got rid of them um should they replant in the same place like could the disease or whatever it is still be in the soil, or would that be not recommended? Well, first, the grower would have to determine if the trees were declining to a non-soil-borne issue. If it's so that ha- that should be confirmed right up front. If the trees are declining by, if it's a soil-borne issue, meaning if the roots are dying. Um, if the roots aren't dying in this case, if it is a, if it's one of these this mysterious decline issues, they could replant. Um, typically, what I recommend growers is for for good management practices, plant in your grassy middles, the row the grassy row middles. Um, so just as you know, just as man, as that's just part of good management practices. But we don't believe it's anything with this decline issue. And if if a grower would experience this. Uh, and it's their graft units collapsing, the roots are healthy. We don't believe there's anything in the soil that would limit the production of the next tree that's to be planted. That's good to know. Now, also other recommendations. How can growers protect themselves from this disease? Now, we know it affects M9, which mm-hmm. is a, a rootstock that's a dwarfing rootstock developed in England, is it not? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a very old rootstock. I mean, it's been around for over 100 years, and it's a very popular rootstock, too. So it's been around for 100 years. This is a new problem. Should we be avoiding M9 and... And well, looking... I, I, I hate to say it, but I, it may be a good idea for now to to limit acreage, <laughs> a new acreage with M9, just because we just don't know. And I'm it, it, I'm nervous to um, 
I'm, I'm nervous to recommend anything other than that just because um, there's so much we don't know. If growers do have, say, they have an order of M9, bunch of trees, you know, on order and they're coming. I mean, I have my, I have M9 trees, so, you know, I'm still planting M9. Uh, but the, the big thing is, is that when they go into the ground, it's a really good idea to make sure you limit the stress. You know, an M9, are they're really prone to winter injury because the graft union seems to be um, the late in going, in hardening off and going into dormancy. So when a tree goes into dormancy, you know, it hardens itself off to weather the, the winter coming. And the graft union area is the last place to harden itself off, and M9 seems to be slow. So one thing is is just keeping an eye on, you know, doing those preventative practices of, of painting the trunks white or having white guards that reflect, you know, reflect the, the sunlight. So you would limit those, that, that damage that could occur during in the middle of the winter. You know, making sure that you have, if you don't have irrigation and you do have issues with drought, invest in irrigation. Uh, making, doing soil tests to make sure that your nutrients are correct. Um, the Northeast has experienced a tremendous amount of rain over the last year, and I know other parts of the country has this year. You can get soil leaching or nutrient leaching as a result of all that rain, so it really behooves people to make sure they know where their soil nutrients stand. Um, you know, again, controlling for diseases and insects, not letting anything go, not stretching spray intervals. Um, so a lot of there's a lot of within the grower or the home, backyard homeowners um, within their power to limit stress. Exactly. Yeah, that sounds sounds like good advice. Well, it is time now. Um, it's time now for us to pick the winner. You and I are going to pick the winner. I'm okay. going to get you to from you over there. I'm putting my hand in the little plastic box here with our different names and I'm going to get you to guide me psychically towards okay. the winning. Okay, you guiding I'm, me? I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, you're thinking. Okay, here you go. You tell me when. Tell me when I should um, pick. When. Okay, I've got one in my hand. This is a good way to do it, actually. Okay, so one in my hand and our winner is Alice from Philadelphia. Thank you so much, Alice. So she is going to win. Tell us about this polo t-shirt and uh, hat. Is it a special celebratory thing? Or Yes, it is. So last year, the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center celebrated its 100th anniversary. So we had a big party for it. And uh, part of that included um, having special polo shirts with really pretty embroidery. It says 100 on it, I believe. And I think it says the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center. And then there is a, a hat that also that has an apple on it, and it says, uh, I think, um, the, the Fruit Research and Extension Center uh, on it, too. Well, excellent. So Alice will now be very fashionable in her yeah. new polo T-shirt and hat. And I want to thank you, Carrie, so much for spending this time with me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being able to shed some light on this issue. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again. Okay, goodbye. You take care. Bye. That was Carrie Peter, Ph.D. Assistant Research Professor of Tree Fruit Pathology at the Penn State Fruit Research and Extension Center. And that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to listen again or download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. Now, if you like this show, please, please go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my email list because I need your help. 
I'm going to be sending out a survey soon asking listeners for direction on the future of this radio show. And I'd really appreciate your feedback on the show, where you think we should be going with this show in the future. All you have to do is go to orchardpeople.com and under free fruit tree care resources in the menu bar, just choose monthly newsletter. Or there's also a pop-up that just pops up and it says sign up for our newsletter and you can just sign up right there. I'd really love to hear more about how you see the future of this radio show and podcast. Well, you've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.